And now this is the opportunity for uh, children who wish to go to go to their Sunday school class. And please could the rest of us turn in our Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 4. Which is on page 4. It's all right towards the beginning of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not, if you do, not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive, and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, let's pray now and ask God as we consider his word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do pray that you'll please uh, help us now. We pray for the movement of your spirit. Lord, please may he uh, enable your word to be taught helpfully and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And please, Lord, may he also work in our hearts. If necessary, to convict of sin but also uh, to lead us to Christ. Help us, we pray. Move among us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage that we've read this morning uh, teaches us about the first murder in the history of mankind. And it is full of instruction for us. It tells us about true worship. It tells us about the sacrifice that God has made for sins. It tells us about temptation. It speaks to us about the sin of murder. Uh, So I hope that as we look at this passage this morning, all of us will find the Lord speaking to us in one way or another. Maybe some it will be to convict of sin. Maybe for others it will be to point to Christ or there will be some other lesson that we are able to learn from this passage this morning. Now, what I plan to do is to, uh, as it's a narrative, I, I, I hope to go through it like little section at a time and uh, to draw lessons out from each section as we go. So I hope it will be helpful and I hope you'll follow along with me. Now the first thing I want us to see is the goodness that God showed to Eve in enabling her to bear children. Uh, Verse 1. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And so we see that God showed his kindness to Eve in enabling her to bear children. And uh, we know that, um, that, uh, there were, that um, there were other children that she bore as well. Um, if you look towards, uh, the, towards chapter 5, opposite page, um, it says, uh, verse 4, The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Um, you know that old chestnut people say, oh, well, whom did Cain marry? Well, you know, the answer is they didn't just have Adam, Cain and Abel. They, they, Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters. And, of course, 
uh, in the first generation, um, the men and, 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 and women will have had to, they were, they, they will have had, men will have had to marry their sisters because that was all there was at the time. Um, but so we see then God was kind to Eve. She had, um, she had sinned and God had said that as a result of that sin, uh, she would bring forth children with, with pain, but she was still able to bring forth children. And uh, the command that God had given in chapter 2, verse 22, uh, sorry, not chapter 1, verse 22, where God said to Adam and Eve, Be fruitful, God bless them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply in the earth. Uh, sorry, not that, not, not, sorry, what he said to Adam. Sorry, he said to, um, uh, verse 28, sorry. Uh, God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, this exhortation still stood. This command, this what's sometimes called the Genesis mandate, still stood. And uh, we see it repeated in, in Noah, to, to Noah. Genesis 9, verse 7. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. God gave this command to men and women to have children. Um, and to fill the earth. And uh, the scriptures say that, that uh, children are a blessing from God. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So children are a blessing from God. And that's what Eve realized. Well, I've gotten a man. God has given me a man, a son. Um, there are those who will say that, you, that people shouldn't have children anymore. The earth is too full, they say. Uh, children are a, 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 a pollutant for the earth. If, the earth would be fine if there, were, if there weren't any humans there. Well, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that God has told man to fill the earth and, uh, we, and, and, and we should not, if, if, if the Lord does enable you to have children, uh, you should not feel guilty about having children. Uh, if you're married, you can be grateful to God for that. Now, of course, not every, not every couple can have children. Some couples, sadly, uh, are infertile, and some, they're not infertile, but they, there's some condition whereby the, the woman is unable to bring the, the, the baby to birth because of, to term, because of, of uh, an affliction that she has. And if that's your position, you should not feel guilty about that. You should not, you not feel inadequate or unworthy. Um, that is something which God has allowed to happen in his providence. But if, on the other hand, God does provide uh, you with children, then be grateful for that. 
and, uh, as, uh, and, and of course, as the church, we should be grateful to God uh, when uh, children are born to, uh, to our married members. Now, the next thing I want us to see is how both of these two men worked. Uh, we see at the end of verse 2, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. They were workers. They were farmers. And contrary to what uh, many people will say, they were not cavemen, sort of, you know, grunting away and going off and killing the odd antelope or something and trying to make do and mend. No, they were sophisticated. Farming Agriculture is a sophisticated business. You've, you, you get your seed and you, you, you plough the ground up, you plant the seed, you wait, you water it, you look after it, you harvest it, you grind up the seed. It's a sophisticated activity. Tending sheep also is a sophisticated activity. So we see that right from the beginning of mankind, there was sophistication, there was advancement. Um, and if we go over just to look towards the end of this chapter, we didn't read the verses, but just look towards the end of the chapter. Um, we see that Cain uh, bore Enoch later on, and Enoch, he built a city. Well, that's a highly sophisticated thing to do, isn't it? A civilization. You've got, uh, you've got um, then you've got uh, Jabal, uh, he, verse 21, he was the father of all those who play the lute. The lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So you've got iron right at the beginning of the history of mankind. You know, for, again, people say, oh, well, you know, there were these very primitive men. Eventually, after many thousands of years, they managed to, to work out how to produce iron. Well, not according to the Bible. Um, so, uh, in fact, the so-called cavemen are a degeneration from the highly sophisticated ex experience that, that, uh, that early that, that the, our first fathers had. Um, as, as people went away from God, they lost their education and they lost their ability to, to, to do skilled work. Now, why am I talking about the work? Well, the point is this. Uh, Adam, God had put Adam in the garden to work the garden. When Adam sinned, God said to him his work would be difficult now. Remember back in chapter 2, uh, um, in pain you shall eat of all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, verse 18 of chapter 2, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. But, so work has become difficult with the fall, but we should work. Now, of course, we know some are unable to work because of disability. Um, some are unable to work because of age and infirmity, uh, and they need to retire. Of course, that is the case. But if you are young and able-bodied, you should work. Um, and, 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 and be busy with your work. 
Um, sometimes people will not find work at all, or they'll do the odd hour here, the odd hour there, and then go off and, you know, do a bit of sporting activity with their friends and maybe play a game or two and listen to, the, listen to music. Then maybe do another hour, you know, the next day, maybe then stay up late on the, on the internet doing this and that. Maybe get up at three or four in the afternoon, do an hour's work, and then... No, that's not how we should be. We should be working. And, and, and we should find useful work to do. Now, next thing. They offered worship. But there were two different types of worship that they offered. Let's look now at verses 3 to 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit, of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So here are, uh, we see that both Cain and Abel worshipped God. And we see that this is something which is very remarkable about man. Man is a worshipping creature. Wherever you go around the world, you find men worshipping. Uh, they don't always worship the right thing. In fact, unless they're born again, they will always worship the wrong thing. But man is a worshipper. Why? Because we've all got built into us this sense that we're made by God. We've all got built into us this sense there's somebody out there who's bigger and greater than we are. And there is this, this natural sense of, of worship. Now, but we see that, that um, one of them offered acceptable worship and the other offered worship that was not acceptable. Let's start with Cain who offered a worship that was not acceptable. What did he offer? He offered grain or produce from the ground that he had produced. Now, we don't know quite what his reasoning was. Maybe he thought, well, you know, I'm a farmer and I'll give to God some of my crops. We don't know if God had revealed to Cain and Abel beforehand, before this act of worship by them, uh, what sort of worship they should offer. We don't know. Maybe he had already revealed that the right worship to offer is his animals. Uh, so whether Cain acted out of deliberate disobedience to God or whether he acted out of ignorance, we don't know. But he offered something which turned out to be unacceptable. He offered uh, 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 the produce of the ground. And I think we can regard Cain as a sort of a type of people who think that they can get to God their own way, whether through ignorance or whether through deliberate Rebellion. Many people think, well, 
I can get to God my way. I'm going to do good works. I'm going to go to my church or my temple or my mosque. I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to give my money to the poor. And as long as I do those things, I think God will accept me. And they go via human means, according to human principles, imagining that as they go to their priest, they get their priest to do the last rites for them when they're going to die, the priest hears their confession, whatever it is, they use their human means and they think, well, that way I'll be okay. And Cain is a picture of, of, of those who go to God their own way. But Abel, whether because, say, we don't know whether he knew this by direct revelation, but he had this sense that, no, what God requires is not the produce of the ground. What God requires is a sacrifice that involves the shedding of blood. Now, remember, at this point in time, well, when, certainly when Adam, Adam and Eve were created, they were vegetarian. God gave them the fruit of the ground to eat. And it, as far as I can see, it's only after the flood that God said to Noah that they could kill the animals for, eat, for food. But Abel had that sense. There has to be a shedding of blood. There has to be a sacrifice. How did he know that? Maybe God told him. I don't know. But he, he somehow knew what it says in Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so by offering this sacrifice that involved blood, there's an acknowledgement there. I'm a sinner. I'm going to need somebody to pay for my sins. Obviously, he didn't know about Christ yet, but he had that, that understanding, that realization that, uh, that, um, that there was this need uh, for a payment for sin. And he offered this sacrifice, which was acceptable to God. Now, this is actually referred to in Hebrews, as I'm sure many of you will know, Hebrews chapter 11, you've got this great list of all the heroes of the faith. And um, the first one that's mentioned as you're going through, this is on page, if you want to have a look, page 1195. The first hero of the faith that's mentioned is actually Abel. And it says there in Hebrews 11 verse 4, by faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him, God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. So here is this man who had this understanding, somehow this spiritual understanding that in order to offer, to offer a separate sacrifice, there had to be a sacrifice made. And he did that through faith. And he, the writer of Hebrews says he still speaks. How does he speak to us today? Well, because when you look at Abel, you, you realize, ah, oh, yes, 
I need a sacrifice for my sins. I need my sins paid for. Now, then we come then to God's verdict on these sacrifices. Verse, coming back to, back to Genesis, the tail end of verse 4. It says, the Lord had regard or found acceptable the sacrifice of Abel and his offering. But then verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard or he was not, he, they, he, these were not acceptable to God. Now, of course, as God and as our creator, it's entirely up to God what he will find acceptable and what he won't find acceptable. It's, it's, it's down to him to say, this is the way, if you want to worship me, this is the way you need to worship me. And that was Cain's problem. He thought, well, I'm going to decide how I'm going to worship God. But, but no, God said, the way I expect you to worship me in this way. And it's only if you worship me in this way, it will be acceptable. Now, this is why, of course, God gave such detailed instructions to Moses when Moses was in the desert. He gave them precise instructions about the tabernacle, how that was to be built, and all the different details of that, and how the different sacrifices that were to be offered. Because it's, down to, it's God who says how the worship should happen. It's not man. Most didn't sort of sit down and think, oh, let's, 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 let's invent a religion. Oh, let, hello, we got, got up there, we got, we'll, have, well, let's have a temple, let's have a tabernacle, let's have an ark, and let's do this, and let's do that, and let's work it up. No, no, no. God said, this is what you've got to do. And if you, if you deviate one tiny bit, it's completely unacceptable. Now, what I think sometimes we as believers forget is that God is still very particular about how he's worshipped. It's not as if, oh, it's New Testament now. Well, you know, don't worry about that because we're in New Testament age. Of course, yes, certain things from the Old Testament age have been done away with, with the coming of Christ. We don't have to offer a literal, we don't have to offer an animal sacrifice. And, and we can draw near to God with freedom, with confidence. Thank God for that. But still, for worship to be acceptable, it must be done God's way. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Do you remember? how she asked this question about, you know, do, should we worship at, at, at this temple in Samaria or should we worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus answered her, John 4, verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is looking for true worship, which comes from the heart. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way I think we should understand that. And um, uh, Paul writes in, in, in Romans 12 verse 1, speaking about how our whole life should be an act of worship to God. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable 
to God, which is your spiritual worship. So your worship of God must consist of a holy life, which is acceptable to God. And part of that whole life of worship is that we also gather to worship and we specifically offer praise to God. So Hebrews 12, uh, 28 says, Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And also Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a spiritual priesthood, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we don't need to offer a sacrifice to pay for sins. That's already done. But God is looking for the worship consisting of our lives and also, as we assemble, the, the worship of our lips, the praise of our, of, uh, and, and the love of our hearts to be an acceptable offering to him. Now, I often hear people say to me something like this. Oh, when I go to this particular place, I love the worship there, they say. Oh, it's great worship. Got drums, got loud guitars, got incense, got flashing lights. Oh, it's a wonderful worship experience. I really love it, they say. But the question is, not do you like it, but does God like it? Is it acceptable to God? Or is it, in fact, a human jamboree, which is repulsive to God? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves, isn't it? Well, so God told Cain that his, his worship was not acceptable, his offering was not acceptable. And then we read, verse 5, that Cain got into a sulk. He was angry. Look at the end of verse 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. With whom was Cain angry? Well, ultimately, he was angry with God, wasn't he? Because God had said his sacrifice wasn't acceptable. Now, we see how he took it out on, on Abel. But actually, he was angry with God. Now, be careful about being angry with God. Sometimes people do get angry with God, don't they? They say, God's not treating me fairly. It's not right. What's happening to me? Be careful. What was, what was driving his anger? Well, it was wounded pride, wasn't it? Oh, I've offered this great sacrifice. I, God, can't God see I put all, these, all this grain before him and this and that and everything else? I worked hard for that. And he was, he was wounded. His, he was, he was, his pride was offended. And this is, what, this is why so many people who who try to get to God through their own works, they're offended with the gospel of Christ. Because you're told, well, your fasting is a waste of time. It's done, done nothing. Your good works, you've been, you've, been to, you've been on pilgrimage. Well, so what? 
You've given that money to the poor. Well, do you think that can make you right with God? You've been to Mass many times a week. Do you think God's impressed with that? All your righteousness are filthy rags. And they get offended. Don't you? Doesn't God know how much I've done for him? Doesn't he see? Doesn't he see I've worked really hard to try to raise myself up to a decent standard of morality? And so there is this offended pride that those who rely on their own works will often have. And that offended pride, again, will often find its expression in hatred of those who are true believers. And this is why you find the enemies of the gospel are not usually atheists, not usually the drunkards and the and 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 the and the, and, and those who are going to prostitutes and those who are and those who are taking drugs. Not usually the people who really hate the, the Christians, the Bible-believing Christians, usually is the religious, because their pride is offended by the gospel. Now, so there's a lesson for us here, isn't it? Be careful about getting into a sulk. There's another example of somebody got into a sulk, isn't there, in the Bible? Uh, do you remember Ahaz? He wanted to buy a vineyard. And the man, who was a much better man than he, said, I can't sell you the vineyard because it's the inheritance from my, from my family. And he got into a sulk. He lay in bed. Mm. Can't get this vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said, what are you in a sulk for? Oh, I want to get that. What to add to my palace garden? Naboth's vineyard. You wouldn't sell it to me. She said, I'll sort that out. And she got, the, got Naboth murdered. So that he could, and he could get them at the vineyard. Because of a sulk. Be careful about getting into a sulk. If, if God is saying to you, you can't have what you want, well, humble yourself and go to him and ask for forgiveness and ask for him to, uh, to show you the way forward. Well, then God comes to Cain and he, gives, he warns him. And uh, he says to him, uh, verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, his desire is contrary to you, or for you, he wants to have you, but you must rule over it. Well, God says to Cain, why are you angry? Why, why is your face fallen? Why are you in a sulk? Well, the answer is he didn't have a good reason. And um, often that's the case for us, isn't it? But then God gives him a warning. He says, uh, he says, he's got basically two options. He says, look, if you do well, 
when you're not to be accepted. Look, you've got an option here. Look, got, there's a way you can do this, you know. Basically, effectively, God was saying, look, I've told you how to offer an acceptable sacrifice. So it would have been completely, it would be a very, very easy thing for Cain to have gone to Abel and said, look, could you sell me some of your, your sheep, please? I'll give you a bushel or two of, 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 of grain for them. And he could have bought a sheep off, 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 off Abel, could have, could have slaughtered that, 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 that sheep and offered it up to God and all would have been fine. So he says, if you do right, will you not be accepted? Now, what's the, you know, if you will do the right thing, if you'll come to Christ, if you look to the, the sacrifice that God has provided in Jesus rather than trying to establish your own righteousness, will you not be accepted? Of course you will. Everybody who comes to Christ is accepted. As, if you come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I've done wrong, I, I, I need Jesus to pay for my sins, of course you'll be accepted. The only people who are not accepted are the people who don't ask to be accepted in this life. So come to Christ. But the other option is, look, if you don't come to if you don't go the right way, sin is crouching at the door. And it's just about to pounce on you and get you. Now, um, just just notice, by the way, as we as we as we see, there are no Ten Commandments being given at this point in the history of the world. Not explicitly. Ten Commandments are given through Moses thousands of years later. But sin is still sin. Murder is still murder. And all the other things that, that, that you see, you know, there are other stories in, in Genesis which tell us that sexual immorality is, 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 is sinful and lying is sinful and all the, all the other things. God's law is, a, is, is, a, is an enduring moral law. It's not that suddenly the law started when the Ten Commandments were given. No, what happened then was that the, ten, the, the law which was implicit early on in Scripture then becomes explicit and, and visible, but it's still there. And, if, and Cain was just about to, to, to fall into the sin of murder. And God warned him, look, be careful. Sin wants to take you over. Be careful that doesn't happen. It's like some sort of wild animal that's sort of just waiting to pounce on somebody and, and leave that person helpless in its grip. Now, You and I have the same thing, don't we? First of all, in terms of if you're not yet a Christian, you've got two ways. You can either persist in your, unrebe in your rebellion and sin, and sin will overtake you, or you can turn from your sin and you can believe on Christ. But it's also true in terms of once you've become a Christian because every one of us, even as Christians, we have a similar choice every day. Are you going to conquer sin or are you going to allow sin to conquer you? You're saved. You're not going to go to hell. But your life will be severely damaged 
if you make the wrong choice. Now, just, just turn with me if you wish, to, or listen. Romans 8, verse, verse 12. Now, this, these, page 1122, these verses are clearly written to Christians. Paul says, Romans 8, verse, verse 12, page 1122, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to live according to the flesh, but uh, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Listen to the flesh, you'll die. By the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. Is this saying you can lose your salvation? No, of course not. If you're a true Christian, it's impossible for you to lose your salvation. But you will experience in some way, shape, or form, death. If you listen to the flesh, your life will be severely harmed as a Christian. But if, instead of listening to sin, you... By the power of the Holy Spirit, you put sin to death. You'll know the life of God in you. So let us learn from, from um, that choice that God put before Cain. Not only in terms of becoming Christian, but also in terms of living our lives as believers. Well, Cain made the wrong choice. Coming back to Genesis. Verse 8 now. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So instead of heeding God's warning and turning from sin and conquering sin, Cain went his own way. He followed his own reasoning, and he killed his brother. And notice the aggravations of this. He, he was clearly premeditated. He planned what he was going to do. And he was also deceptive because he made out to, to, to Abel that he was his friend. Come on, let's go out and have some time together. But he got him alone. And then he killed him. And so we see here that his anger with God translated to hatred for God's representative. Abel was a righteous man. He couldn't kill God, so he killed the next best thing, which was, which was Abel. And uh, this is referred to, uh, of course, in that reading that we had in... Um, in uh, 1 John, you might want to just look back to it again. Um, uh, 1 John 3, 11, just towards the end of the Bible. Page 1211. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. 
and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death to into life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So uh, Abel murdered his brother. So Cain, excuse me, murdered his brother Abel because Cain was a wicked man. He hated God. And because he hated God, he also hated Abel, God's servant. Jesus also speaks about this, doesn't he, in, in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, about how Abel was a righteous man. And he was, uh, Matthew 23, it talks about how, how the blood of, of all the righteous prophets down through the ages is going to come on that generation. So here is this righteous man, Abel, whom, whom Cain hated. But we see that John, that, that John draws from this and he says, don't be like him. Because lack of love is a form of murder. He says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him and so here's a lesson for us all are you a Christian do you belong to Christ you say yes well show that you belong to Christ by loving believers if you say you belong to Christ but you do not have that love for believers there's a contradiction there if you don't have love for believers, you're a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life living in him. Uh, Jesus also tells us that, doesn't he? When in, on the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us, uh, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, uh, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. And then whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. But whoever says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. If you have hatred in your heart and if you say cruel and horrible things to other people, you're being like a murderer. And so we need to repent of that sin and seek God's grace for forgiveness to the extent that we are guilty of lack of love for others. Well, then we come then to, coming back to Genesis, we see how Cain's sin was confronted by God. Uh, verse 9 of Genesis 4. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground.
if you murder someone, the blood that you've shed will cry out to God. The blood of that baby that was aborted, the blood of that elderly person who was euthanized, the blood of that teenager who was knifed down in the street. These things cry out to God. And they cry out to God for vengeance. They cry out to God for, for judgment. But as we've seen, murder is not just when you physically kill somebody. When you've said something cruel and unkind to somebody and that person goes off to his bedroom and cries his eyes out because of the horrible thing you've said to him, the Lord hears that. The Lord is displeased because of that thing. And that, thing, that, that offense cries out to God for judgment. And then we see how God punished Canaan. Cain. Uh, we, read, we see that God banished him from the ground. Uh, verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So God banished Cain from, from the land, and he banished Cain from his presence. Already at this point, there was still some interaction going on between God and men. But God banished Cain because of his sin. But we also see God did show some kindness to Cain. When Cain expressed some degree of sorrow for what he'd done. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And God put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, we don't know if Cain fully repented of his sin, but it seems that there was some expression of sorrow and regret for what he had done. And God showed some mercy to Cain. He didn't kill him, which he could have done. And he actually put a mark on him to protect him from from, uh, from vengeance being wreaked by others. And in the book of Hebrews, we read that for us who believe, we have a sacrifice for our sins, a sacrifice that pays for the times when we have treated others wrongly. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 24, but you've come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, 
and to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Thanks be to God. Yes, the blood of those that we've harmed cries out to God for vengeance. But there is another blood that's been shed, the blood of Jesus, which cries out something different. It says, God have mercy on him. God have mercy on her. Have you been guilty of murder in one way or another? Perhaps you've literally killed somebody. I don't know. Maybe you've literally killed a baby. I don't know. In, had an abortion. Or maybe you've, 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 you've physically hurt somebody. I'm sure all of us have hurt people with our lips, haven't we? Who hasn't lost his temper sometimes? We're all guilty of murder in one way or another. We're all deserving of judgment, aren't we? We all deserve to be exiled from God. We all deserve to go to hell. But there's another blood that cries out. The blood of Jesus. Crying out, saying, God forgive him. God forgive her. Go to Jesus. And say, I need that blood to cover my sins. I'm guilty before God. I deserve hell. But please, may your blood wash away my sins. Go to him. And then you'll be made acceptable to God. And then you'll be able to offer acceptable sacrifices to God. And then you'll be enabled to live a life of love which is pleasing to God. Well, may God have mercy upon us and may we all learn from, uh, from, from this story what, we, what God would have us to learn. I'm going to um, want us to sing now a last hymn, number 421, Glory be to Jesus, who in bitter pain, 421.